Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Well, I think too many of God's promises stay promises but don't come to fruition. I think too many of God's promises, they stay promises, like something that God is going to do. Have you ever just been waiting on God to do something in your life? Okay, many of you are lying right now. That's why we're going to pray for you at the end of tonight, right? But I would go ahead and say this. Most of us have experienced, you know, hearing something from God or being told about something that God's going to do in our life. And many of us would have experienced this. And we're just waiting for God to come and to bring it to pass. And I think too many of God's promises, they just end up staying promises. And it's my position that God has a promised land for you. And that promised land could be anything. It's, it's a place where God wants to take you. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that it's probably very unique, something specific, something that God wants to do with you. In particular, in 2017, this year, something that God wants to do with your life and for your future. And maybe for you, the promised land is the restoration of a broken relationship that you are hoping to mend the pieces of. Maybe for you, uh, that promised land is a, is a place of financial prosperity because the truth is, is that you are under pressure. You're finding it hard to keep a job or pay the bills. That pressure and that stress on you is not healthy for you or any of the relationships that you're in. Or maybe the promised land for you tonight is in fact a ministry calling. And I feel like that is for a lot of people tonight is that there is something that God wants to do with your life. There is a ministry call that's on you. And I feel like God speaks to a lot of people about these things. And, and when we believe that God has spoken to us about something in the future, we get excited about it. But I want you to understand something. God's desire for you still has obstacles. You know, just because God told you that he wants to take you somewhere doesn't mean that he completely cleared the path and made it straight so that you could head towards it without being hindered by any, anything. Even God's plans and his desire for you, they still have obstacles. And you know, if you're new to church, some of this might sound really strange to you, but I tell you something right now, sometimes some of the obstacles that we have in our life is just spiritual opposition. Sometimes we sort of point and say, well, I felt like there's some spiritual opposition that's coming against me. Maybe it's the devil, he's, he's trying to set things up and destroy these parts of my life. And I've got to go ahead and tell you, sometimes that's really true. Do you know what? This probably doesn't come as a surprise to most of you, but the devil is not in your corner just hoping that you uh, lead your friend to Jesus. He, he, he's not for you. He's not cheering you on. He hopes you miss everything and don't do what God's called you to do. That's his hope for you. But sometimes, you know, the truth is, <laughs> is that the biggest obstacle that you have in your life is actually you. Yeah. Sometimes you're your own biggest obstacle and you get in your way. I feel like sometimes, even when we get in our own ways, people will say, oh, I think it's the devil. And then you go look at him and he says, look, the truth is I had nothing to do with this one. I mean, you were just such a negative person. Like, I, honestly, you took care of this. You talked yourself out of God's promises. You, I, I had nothing to do with it. It made my job easier because I could just leave you to your own devices. You know, I feel like sometimes we want to blame it on him, but actually we can be our own biggest obstacles. But I tell you, somebody that's not a big obstacle in your life is God. God is not an obstacle in your life. God is here to set you up. I believe that God wants to set people up to win. 
I believe that he does a lot of things in our lives to try to set us up to win. And I want to speak to you today about overcoming obstacles, about overcoming obstacles. Thoughts precede action. Before you do anything, you think about it. Well, you're supposed to anyway. I mean, not everyone does, but you're supposed to. Before you action anything, you start to think about it. And I tell you tonight that the battle for your future will take place first in your mind. It'll take place first up here. Because if you can get defeated here, in this space, then you won't be crossing out over anything. You won't do anything. You're defeated before that plane even gets off the runway. The battle for your future takes place in your mind. So you've got to know that your real life will follow your thought life. You understand that? Your real life will follow your thought life. And the reason why I tell you that tonight is that if you want to change your life, you have to begin by changing your thoughts. I'll say that again just so you get it. If you want to change your life, you've got to begin by changing your thoughts. And tonight I want to speak to you about a nation that actually walked away from the promises of God and were kept out of the promised land just because of their thinking. And so I want to set the scene for you so that if you're new, you understand exactly what's happening here. So it's a story straight out of the Bible, and uh, it's the nation of Israel. And you've got to understand this. God spoke to a man named Abraham, and he made him some promises about what he would do with all of his descendants. And so for 600 years, his descendants have been waiting for those words to come to fruition. 600 of those years, oh sorry, 400 of those years, they have been in slavery. And if you think, I don't know how many generations you can squeeze into 400 years, but let's just say it's like 20 generations. Your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was still the one talking about how one day God's going to come and liberate you, and everyone's been waiting. But for 400 years, you've just been slaves. And all of a sudden, God shows up one day, and this is what he says to a man named Moses, who he uses to come and liberate them. He says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the promised land. Uh, like it's not actually, it doesn't have like rivers of honey because that would just be weird. But, but what they're saying is there's a place that we're going to take you. It's so much better than where you are right now. And then God comes along and, and he does it in the most spectacular way. And in fact, they have made movies about this stuff. And God comes and he starts to bring plagues upon Egypt so that Pharaoh would release God's people, which is the nation of, Hebrew, uh, uh, the nation of Israel, the, the Hebrews. And so he, he, he comes and he brings the plagues and, 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 and eventually they let the Hebrews go. And then Pharaoh starts to think about what he's lost and he gets FOMO. Fear of missing out. Like he, he, he's, now he's all worried because he's thinking, well, who's going to build all our stuff, right? So he says, he lets them go, and they said, no, no, wait, get them back. And they say, okay. So they, they go after uh, the Hebrews, and they start chasing down the Israelites. Meanwhile, I've got to tell you that when the Israelites left, they left rich, but they plundered the Egyptians. Here they are slaves, and then they plundered the Egyptians, and then they left. And then they get stuck, and they come to this place called the Red Sea, and they're stuck, and the Egyptian army is chasing them down. 
And they get there and they say, what are we going to do? And then suddenly, of course, the ocean just parts and they walk through on dry ground. Not about you, but that fits into the category of spectacular for me. So they just cross through on dry ground. And then when they get to the other side, the Egyptians, they're trying to follow them and chase them down. The water closes up over the Egyptians and saves them. When they get into the promised land, God starts doing incredible things. I mean, they've got, they got, they got cloud cover by day. It's the desert, gets kind of hot. And then they've got a pillar of fire by night. And I've got to tell you, God is doing some miraculous things. And you would think that by seeing all of that, you would have a very high expectation about what God was doing with you and where he was about to lead your people. So we pick up the story in Numbers chapter 13. And in Numbers chapter 13, Moses sends out 12 spies into the promised land to see what awaits them when they eventually cross over. And so the spies go over there and they spend 40 days spying out the land. And then they come back and Moses and Israel, the congregation, it says, it says that they are waiting to hear this report. There are two reports to come in. And here is the first one from 10 of the spies. It says, they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So I think we can safely say that God held up his end of the bargain. However, how many dreams have a however, you know? It's like God asks you to do something and you have a however moment. And so the 10 spies did, and, and they didn't have the little one in there or the two or the three. I put that in there, but this is the reasons that they come up with. And they say, however, the people that, that dwell in the land are strong. And number two, the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, number three, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And number four, the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea. They put all the ites together. That's so cute. And along the Jordan. So this is the, this is the report that comes in, right? And, and, and so 10 of these spies say this. Now Caleb comes and Caleb gives this next report. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. All the people that we saw in it are of great height. All of them, even the little kids, they're just, everyone's huge. Everyone's humongous. Come on. Do you think they might be over-embellishing just a little bit? I think so. And then they say, we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. I don't know if they actually even met them, but they seemed like grasshoppers, and then they say, so we seem to them. There's a lot of seeming that's going on, but not a lot of factual information that's actually coming through there. Why is that? Because they're so concerned with what they actually saw. And I want to tell you this right now. How Israel handle these two reports is going to have a significant and immediate impact on their future. How Israel handle both these reports is going to have an immediate and significant impact on their future. Even God's plans have obstacles. Even God's plans have obstacles. Sometimes we see things that are in our way, things that stand between where we are and where we want to be. And often we see those things and we think, that is enough to stop me. But sometimes we're not thinking clearly. Sometimes often what you think is there to destroy you will actually make you stronger. It is supposed to be there. 
Have you ever felt like God has made a mistake? Come on, don't be religious. I felt like that many times. Lord, I think you just, you just messed up on this one. You should have consulted me about this, you know? He has his own plans, you know, and I find out along the way, but it feels like God made a mistake, but he doesn't make mistakes. And when there is something between you and where God is taking you, it's there for a reason. It's meant to do something with you. Imagine if I said to you, you know what I'd love to do? I, I, I've, I've seen people, they walk into the gym, they come out, they've got big muscles. That's obviously where you get them. So I think to myself, you know what? I want big muscles. I'm going to go to one of those gyms. And I walk in there and uh, I sign up and I, I pay the money. And they say uh, to me, they take me around the gym and all the rest of it. And they say, well, this is where you work out. And I'm like, work out. Don't I get the muscles? When do I get the muscles? They're like, like how dumb are you? They're like, are you serious? Like, if you want to know how to get bigger and stronger, you've got to start lifting some of these heavy objects. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, well, you, if you want to get bigger muscles, you've got to start lifting. You've got to pick up these weights and start lifting them so that you can tear your muscle and it grows back stronger. And if you do that, then you're going to get bigger and stronger. I'm like, oh man, I've got to work for that? They're like, yeah, how do you think people get muscles? Now, I know that sounds crazy, but do you know spiritually people do that all the time? And God puts objects in our way and we're like, man, I don't want to lift that. Just, just lift all the weight off of me right now. Just save me from my situation. Just save me from my circumstance. And God says, do you know the reason why I put it there in the first place was so that you would get bigger and so that you would get stronger. See, along the way, God is actually building something out of you. And you think he made a mistake. He didn't make a mistake. He put it there on purpose so that you could start to lift some heavy object. Do you know what you call weight training? We call that resistance training. And I feel like there's a lot of Christians that need to learn about resistance training. Don't just give up when you feel like there's a little bit of resistance pressing in on you. Sometimes you come to a place where there is an obstacle between you and where God is wanting to take you. And it's time for you to start really pushing back. And you know something about that? It's the more that you begin to push back, the more you grow spiritually, the more your faith in Christ, you know, it starts to go a bit deeper. And the next time a challenging situation comes up, you're a little bit stronger, a little bit wiser, a little bit more strategic, a little bit more prepared. So God can place greater weight on you and you just keep following the plan that God has for your life. It's how the whole thing kind of works. So here's Israel in Numbers chapter 14. And they have heard both reports. They've got the report from Caleb and they've got the report from the 10 other spies. There's another man there named Joshua. So Caleb and Joshua, they're on one side and then the 10 spies, they're on the other side. And they have got both of these. Now they need to make a decision about what they're going to focus on and what they're going to look at. Here's what happens next. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. Uh, all night, apparently, they wept. All night. They just cried. Little cry babies. And then all of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, check this out. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, as if that's a good thing. Or that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose another leader and go back to Egypt. And then Caleb and Joshua, they have a reply. 
And they say, the land with which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, if the Lord delights in us, boy, that's a big if, isn't it? If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. This is probably like one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible. I think this, is, this next line is the best. For they are bread for us. That's like... Caleb and Joshua are looking at this situation and say, I'm going to make a snack out of those giants. This is like food for me. Uh, get, get ready. It's mealtime. Like, you're not even worth dinner. You're like that snack that we have between snack time and lunch, that one in the middle. That's what you are. I'm going to snack down on these guys that are coming against us. Everyone's freaking out. Not these guys. They're like, this is food for me. This is going to feed me. It's going to make me stronger. All right, next slide. He says, their protection is removed from them. and The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Okay, a little, that's overreaction, but they said to do it. But the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. So they were about to get stoned for having faith, right? Stoned with stones. And they're about to get stoned for having faith in what God has said that they can do. And just before they get stoned, the glory of the Lord shows up and, and puts a stop to it. Now, this is an incredible situation. The first thing that happens when they hear the reports, we know this. The first thing that happens is they have a thought about what they heard. They have a thought about what they heard. They heard the words, and their brain starts ticking over. And we know exactly what they did. The first thing that it says that they did is they cried. They thought to themselves, we're dead. Seriously, this is the end. We've been let out by God, and this is where we're going to die. They cry all night. They grumble. That's the first thing that happens. They think. Not very well, but they did it. The second thing that happens, they say, let's go back to Egypt. Like that is literally the dumbest thing that any of them could have said. And they all said it together. They said, yes, it would be good to go back to Egypt. You know, sometimes you can take the slave out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the slave. They have a slave mentality and they are willing to settle for what they know over the promise that God was willing to give to them. They are willing to say, hey, listen, at least we knew what to expect there. And we're so fearful right now. We don't know what's going to happen if we follow God, this was their disposition and it had an immediate effect on Israel's future. In fact, their fear was so strong. Just remember what I told you before. Their fear was so strong that it had the ability to override their memory. It had the ability to override their history. They must have immediately forgotten what God did when he sent all those plagues to Egypt. They must have, by fear, been so overwhelmed that they must have immediately forgot that God made them rich and led them out of Egypt. They must have immediately forgotten that God actually parted the Red Sea. They must have immediately forgotten that there was a pillar of fire, that there was cloud cover. They must have forgotten all of that because God did all of that for them. And now here's the one thing that he says you need to do for yourself. And they said, we don't think that we can do it. We don't think it's going to be able. Their faith in God and their, was, was so low that their fear began to override their history. 
They couldn't even think straight. And Caleb and Joshua said, no, 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 wait. If the Lord delights in us, if he delights in us, man, he's going to give us this land. But you know what? The truth is it was too late. It was too late because God was there and he heard their grumbling and he heard their complaints. And this just happened to be the 10th time that they had done it. And so you know what God says? He says, I know what I'm going to do. And he says this to Moses. I'm going to kill everyone. And I'm going to start again with you, Moses. And you will be the patriarch. I'm going to start again with you and I'll build a great nation out of you. And Moses, being the incredible intercessor that he was, not driven by pride, greed, or ambition, he said, no, 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 no. He said, don't do that. He said, let's, let's, let's work it out. God says, okay, I'm going to work it out. I sent them over to spy out the land. For every day they spent over there, I'm going to make them wait one year to enter into the promised land. How many days were they over there? 40 days. How many years did they have to wait? 40 years. And they were on the verge after 600 years of entering into the promise that God had for their entire nation and they messed it up because they thought wrong and they didn't have the faith or expectation that God was going to come through. It had an immediate and profound effect on them. And out of all the millions of people that were there, two people, two people made it into the promised land. Who do you think they were? Caleb and Joshua. And God says this about Joshua. He says he will make it into the promised land because he has a different spirit about him. You got to get a different spirit about you. You got to get a different spirit about you. You got to see things the way that they really are and not always lean into your fears. You see, it's not what you hear, but how you think that shapes your future. Caleb had no extra information, nothing. They all had the same facts. They all had the same information. His circumstances were identical. The difference between Caleb and the other 10 spies, he thought differently. He was thinking that God was able to do what he said that he would do. Before you cross over to, into anything that God has for you, there is a battle that will take place. It's in your mind. It's your thought life. And your real life will follow your thought life. If you want to start to see some changes in your life, you need to start seeing some changes in your thinking process first. Do you know, I read in the Herald Sun this week that, uh, that one out of tw every 20 Google searches in Australia is a health-related search. In other words, what the article was essentially saying is people are getting so worried about something that they found on their body and they're trying to self-diagnose by researching what they think they might have got. And you know, the more people get anxious and the more that they worry, the more that they begin to search this stuff and they just start to you know, go in deeper and deeper. You know, the, the funny thing is, is they said the most common searches were coughs, colds, rashes, and snake bites. Yes, snake bites. And I thought, only in Australia would that ever happen. How could snake bites be one of the most common searches in Google? Like, and, 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 and which person doesn't know that they've been bitten by a snake? What kind of 
What kind of person is this? I mean, if a snake, bit, like literally, just think of it. If a snake bit you, if it's hanging off you, you don't need to ser- get to the hospital. What are you searching that stuff for anyway? But you know, the thing is, is that people are searching all this stuff, trying to find out information. And I think too often we spend our time trying to wash our brains in the wrong information. What we actually need most of the time is revelation. We don't need more information. We just need God to reveal who He is to us so we can start to think properly. Your life will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But where you renew your mind is a very important place to think about because you can renew your mind in your past failure. You can renew your mind in your fears. Come on, how many people do that? You can renew your mind in your anxiety. That's why people are always doing these Google searches because they're anxious about what they might have got. Or you can begin to renew your mind in what the Bible says that is true about you. Do you know what the Bible says about you? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are the apple of God's eye. The hairs on your head are numbered. If you believe in God, you don't have to be a good person. You still wear the righteousness of Christ because it's something that He gives to you. Christian people don't think that they're perfect. Christian people know more than anyone else how imperfect they are, but we don't need to worry about that because Christ places His perfect life on top of ours. It's called imputed righteousness, and it's something that He gives to us. You've got to begin to renew your mind and who God says you are. And I never really appreciated this, but when I was growing up, my dad, he used to always share this scripture. Every morning, he would share this scripture at the breakfast table. It was 2 Timothy 1.7. He said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Another translation says a sound mind. And when you see Christian people that are living without a sound mind, that are fearful, anxious, and worried and don't have the faith to believe that God is going to come through on the very things that He promises. You are not operating the way that God created you or designed you. You're not thinking straight. In fact, this is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. When we say the flesh, we mean physical. Okay, it's not physically happening. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. A stronghold is a repeated pattern of thinking that you can't break free of and is holding you captive. It says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take, and you can, you better write this down, take every thought captive to obey Christ. You're going to take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know, sometimes your biggest obstacle is you. Sometimes your biggest obstacle is the enemy of your soul and you're encountering spiritual opposition. But whether it's you or him, it really doesn't matter because the antidote is the same for all situations. Answer your thoughts with God's words. Answer your thoughts with God's words. Some of you got to get this tonight. Just because you heard it, doesn't mean that it's true. Just because you had a thought doesn't mean that you need to give it credibility. You should think about the kind of thoughts that you give credibility to. Just because it's there doesn't mean that you need to believe it. 
And I would go so far as to say that there is a lot of thinking that happens that needs to be taken captive and make it obey Christ. Because there's a lot of thinking that happens that sucks the joy out of your life and tears you down from the inside out, makes you insecure, makes you fearful, makes you worried. But that's not the kind of thinking that you're supposed to have. You start believing stuff that's untrue about you. The whole plan there is so that you don't cross over into anything. So what you need to do, real simple, is you need to pray, have a great prayer life, so you know what God says to you. The other thing you gotta do is you gotta read your Bible. Come on, I know this is 101, but there's a reason why we just keep beating that same drum. The reason we do it is, how are you gonna know which words need to be taken captive or which thoughts need to be taken captive unless you know what the Bible actually says about you? It's only when you renew your mind in the truth of God's Word that you know which thoughts need to be taken captive and which thoughts you can entertain. The things that God says, you can have that. Whoever the enemy says you are, you've got to take that captive and not let that dominate your thinking. You've got to answer your thoughts with God's words. Man, I tell you, there is great power in speaking over your own life. I never really appreciated this, but I have come to appreciate this in recent years. There is so much great power about speaking the Word of God over your own life. It shapes your identity. It dispels fear. It increases your faith. It speaks to your past failures. So let me, let me go ahead and ask you a question tonight. I want you to really think about this for a minute because in, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to have this question dealt with in your life. I know God is going to deal with it. He's going to help you. He's going to do something in your life tonight. So which negative, paralyzing, and untrue thought is an obstacle in your life right now? Which negative, paralyzing, untrue thought is an obstacle in your way right now? And I suggest to you this that if you begin to see things the way that you're supposed to see them, instead of looking at the obstacle but that's between you and where God is taking you and being so intimidated by that thing and shrinking back from your ministry call and shrinking back from what you're supposed to do, you'll look at that situation and say, you're my snack time. You are bread for me. I'm going to eat this situation up. This is going to make me bigger. It's going to make me stronger. I'm, about, I'm getting ready to do some resistance training. When you're on the path that God has for you and you encounter some kind of opposition, don't you think that God has led you to that point? He wants you to do some resistance training so that you can overcome that thing and go on to the next thing. It's not there by accident. You need to start looking at the problems that are in your life and start saying, this is bread for me. This thing's gonna feed me. After I've dealt with this, I'm gonna be bigger and stronger. I'm gonna be able to take more weight. I don't want the weight always lifted off. Some of you still gotta stop asking for God to just take everything away and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defeat this thing. I'm gonna stare it down. And when I do this, and when this thing is defeated, I'm gonna teach other people how they can stare down the same thing. Because there are so many issues and, 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 and things that we share that we have in common. I promise you there is a truth that succeeds every negative and paralyzing thought that you have. So here's what I began to do. I began to speak over my own life. I began to speak over my own life and start to declare 
over myself what I believe God says about me. And I did it, and I've been doing it. I, I did it tonight on the way here. I did it. I speak the words of God over my own life and I'm build, building up such a, I'm building up these words so deep in my life that whenever anything comes in that's foreign to them, I know what I need to take captive. I know what I need to believe and I know what I should begin to get rid of and get out of my life. Why don't we stand together? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.